Welcome to Out of the Common. We're a brother and sister duo with extravagant goals where we've had to bridge the gap from perceived reality to actuality. I have an early stage mining venture potentially worth many billions, and Vanessa, she's an experienced healer. She connects the spiritual, energetic, and physical pathways within her functional wellness clinic. Join us here every week as we discuss some of life's adventures, current events, and ways in which true healing happens. By experiencing life through a different lens, you may indeed just find the path that's right for you. And that is what we hope to achieve. Unearthing Cannabis. Cannabis is more than just THC and CBD. And joining us again today is Ryan Heath from Shady Oak Hemp Farm. Hello. You're back. I'm back. <laughs> Ryan, I know you have a whole bunch of experience in growing, trimming, laboring, smoking. I was just going to say. <laughs> Probably the most in smoking, yes. But, <laughs> but also others. There's a lot of people out there that still hold the stigma of cannabis or weed or marijuana is really bad for you. Yet we have, what, 30-ish states right now that have cannabis legalized in, in one form or another. And the trend is going to a federal legalization. Tell us a little bit about your experience and, and yeah, it's uh, it's actually not only federal legalization, but even I think uh, just like the last month, the UN took cannabis off of its dangerous drug scheduling list. That's a big deal. Uh, that is not off, but like to like a schedule two, so it does have some sort of medicinal use. So clearly, the whole world is finally just like, okay, enough is enough. Like we've seen that spending all these tax dollars trying to eradicate a plant growing is not a um, and you're trying to fight nature with laws that doesn't work very well. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, on top of my long life uh, in cannabis use, recently I've started farming uh, CBD-rich cannabis here, here in Wisconsin, which is which is what we have. It's legal now and hopefully on the track to just legalizing the entire plant. We're going to get into some of your processes and, and how the farming of it works. But the reality is, no one truly knows. I mean, is CBD yeah. the same thing as marijuana? Is the same thing as weed? Is the same thing as THC? Or is there only such things as CBD and THC? That's, I mean, as soon as CBD went legal, if you will, their stores popped up all over. And that's seemingly what everybody knows, or the only thing most people know. Yes, uh, agreed, for sure. So just on, on very basic terms, the, the cannabis plant produces, under different conditions, 72 different cannabinoids. And we've only had enough time to do research on a few of them, but the main one that everyone really knows about is going to be THC. That's the one that's intoxicating. That's the one that gets you the high effect. That's the one that's fun. That's the one that most people would say uh, <laughs> is fun, but there's actually another one we'll talk about later that might be even more fun than THC. Nice. <laughs> um, but that's the main one that you think about when you think of someone getting stoned. Now, where CBD came from, that's another cannabinoid. Basically, they, they found it generally when they were doing crossbreeding of THC plants, when they wouldn't work out very well, they were getting these plants that were high in CBD, which was seen as very unfavorable at the time, because that's not what you're going for, you're going for the intoxicating effect. CBD is calming, but it doesn't, there was no market value there. When the government finally kind of said, okay, well, this is non-intoxicating, so they kind of made the distinction finally to the public, even though it technically was on the books as THC was illegal, but everyone just assumed that meant everything in the cannabis plant 
the government kind of clarified that and said, okay, well, no, not everything, not the whole plant. Cannabis is not illegal. The compound THC is illegal. Well, they had to, right? Because I, and this is full circle for you because you you were brought up here, but Wisconsin back in the day used to be, I think, number one, number two-ish state in growing hemp. Yeah, and right? so, and so, I mean, hemp is any sort of wild cannabis. I industrial? Mean, industrial. Well, yeah, it's just, it's what is always just kind of grown naturally. It's kind of basically, cannabis was more naturally found more in Southern climates, but that was obviously all brought up to illegal cannabis smoking trade. And then those seeds started falling off and that and just happens to grow really well in parts of the U.S. Um, Is that what you call your land race strains? Land race, yes, exactly. Stuff that was just naturally happening without any sort of genetic, uh, well, not modification, but just genetic breeding, basically. It's uh, funny because when you say hemp or if you have a hemp oil, People are like, oh, yeah, that's okay, right? So some supplement companies came out and they're like, oh, we have a hemp product. But they didn't label it a CBD product because CBD, they're like, oh, I don't know about mm-hmm. that. But if you say it's hemp, oh, goodness. Well, and hemp oil is actually different. That, that comes from the hemp seed. So hemp oil doesn't have any CBD in it. Hemp oil has been legal for a long time because basically you're just squeezing the oil out of the seeds. So it hasn't had time to produce CBD yet. But it's also, but it still has a lot of like the uh, moisturizing effects. What if you call it hemp oil? Or a hemp product, but then you have CBD listed. Yeah, so that would be a distinction of a product made with CBD-grown hemp versus pressing the oil out of the seeds. Okay, so hemp oil specifically is just from the seeds. Yeah, and so like there's that really popular lotion that's around forever that has like the big cannabis, I think it's called Hemp's with a Z. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that has never had CBD in it. It's just hemp oil because that oil is really, you know, moisturizing. But that's where a lot of the marketing like... Everyone was like, oh, we'll just put a weed leaf on it and people buy it. But the problem is now we have lost the education of like, well, what's the difference? Mm. It just has a weed leaf on it. So it's great. Well, that isn't really the point. There's so much more going on in that than just that one single. Well, I don't thing. think people truly understand how it works. Yeah. Either. And that became a, a huge misconception, at least what I saw here in Wisconsin, because I haven't carried CBD, at least in the clinic, because I didn't have the time to explain to people how it was actually working. They would come in and say, it does this or it does that or it didn't do this. And then you're instantly against it. And when you understand fully how it works, you realize it's not really doing anything. It's just essentially bringing your body back into balance. So with at least CBD, if your body needs balancing in that way, then yes, it's going to heal it. Yeah. And it's a, a great and a bad thing that because the government is so anti anything cannabis. No big companies got into CBD, so the only people who could who were really selling it were farmers and people who like know that it's good, but don't have the resources or maybe the intellectual time to explain why or figure out why. They just know that it works for them. So there was this disconnect of where's the education because the people selling it were doing the best they could, but farming's a lot of work. So you can't be sitting there doing research all the time. And now we're hopefully going to get, especially with this podcast, help to like get where, okay, well, what, that's, what is all this? Why does it work? What does it do? And um, why is it something that should be used Probably more commonly and for and for things that you might not even know that it can help with. And you brought up two good points. One of them I completely forgot. The other one is it is farming. And again, what the general populace knows about farming, we see a lot of corn. We see giant combines. We see, you know, the big trucks in the fields. We see all these things that make it seem so easy and efficient. And I got a chance, the chance to help you last season 
And let me just say, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's all done by hand, which people don't understand. So when people look at maybe quality or price, they don't realize that's actually what they're paying for. They're not paying for this big machine to drive down and harvest it for you. Every single thing is done by you had to cut each plant. Each plant individually down done. individually and so loaded how many to trailer. Acres did you grow last year? So we grew about nine and a half acres. So we're looking, we planted about fifteen thousand single plants. And yeah, each one came down by hand and hauled in by hand and hung up by hand and each bud taken off by hand and trimmed up by it's just even with some of the mechanization that I that there is, a lot of it they're just it's such a delicate plant that you can't mess with it too much. It has to be done boutique style basically and or by hand. It's delicate, but yes, very sturdy. So the stalk, very hardy plant. Hardy yes. is probably a yeah. really great word. Because Chris, you were trying to cut some of them down and it was hard. No, we we needed an axe. They were like miniature tree trunks. Yeah, but, very few plants can grow. I mean, a tree to grow four inches across takes years and years and years. These took four months to grow that big. Like, wow. that's insane. How that's that completely insane. And you're right. I like how you distinguish between hardy because it's a sensitive plant, too. It's sensitive to the chemicals. It's sensitive to the wind. It's sensitive to the water. Even... uh I forgot which strain it was, but it was purple and black. Yeah, the abacus. The yeah. abacus, yeah. I mean, it, they're beautiful plants, actually, but they have so many benefits in our use right now, not only therapeutically, but also industrial-wise and commercially. Well, and to a, a horticulturist, they're just <laughs> they're kind of like a wet dream. It's the same thing as like people who are really into tomatoes. There's so much you can do with a tomato plant with crossbreeding and genetics and just being. And so people who grow tomatoes who really like it, I mean, they go nuts. They have every stri every different type of tomato and it grows different ways. And same thing with cannabis. Depending on how you treat every aspect of it, you can make it do a lot of different things. It will survive a lot of hardy stuff. But at the same time, it's super delicate. If you hit the plants too hard when you're harvesting, you're going to knock half of the cannabinoids off. What about even like wow. the, the trimming process, right? Because you trim it to get the nutrients and water flowing to where yeah, they're producing or they're flowering or they're budding. But even, I mean, I think you had mentioned planting the four feet to the five feet apart makes a difference because of how much water or nutrients each one's getting. Yeah, I mean, and that's where, you know, the very popular cannabis leaf, that big fan leaf, you know, does nothing for therapeutic because it has no CBD, no THC. It is just to gather sunlight. And by just giving the plant what it wants and trimming off, I mean, it happens with flowers too and, and, and other stuff. But as, as a consumable product, you don't see a lot of like vegetables and fruits and stuff being done this way. So it's kind of a cool hybrid in between different types of farming. And then, again, unlike most products, once it's out of the field, you're only about halfway there. Most stuff you harvest, you know, you harvest an apple, you're ready to go. Like, you're only partial. You got to get every single little bud off each plant and then take every leaf that you don't want. So you're just getting the flowering part of the plant. And as Chris knew, I mean, it was a four-step process. The big leaves, then the next size leaves, and the next size leaves, and trimmed all the way down to the pure bud. I mean, it the amount of time spent is, is, is kind of wild. And what are you using the bud for? Because some people aren't trimming this way to get the bud, yeah. right? They're just sending their plant. They're it, not even drying their plant. Mm. And could we differentiate a couple terms here, bud and flower, right? Definitely. Flower is a commonly used term these days and oil and so on. Yeah. 
So when you say flour, you're generally talking about what you would find in a bag of weed, right? Those little green buds. Nuggets. Nuggets. Nuggets of goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where all the cannabinoids are made and then stored in that plant. And the trimming part that I was talking about is going into a smokable flour product. So any, you know, like something you would find at a dispensary. But so people are now using CBD cannabis flour, just like THC. The main difference being is consumption. So anytime you ingest any sort of cannabinoid in an edible or an oil, you're basically having to send that down to your liver and that processes through there. Now that... First of all, it takes 45 minutes to an hour to get there, and it's dependent on what's in your stomach at the time. Cannabinoids like fat, you have more fat in your stomach, you're going to absorb more. And is this if you're eating? Eating, ingesting, oils, any sort oils, of, yeah. anything other than... So a tincture, a gummy. Right. Okay, so, so how does that change then with, yeah, with smoking it? Because exactly. it's the delivery system, so, right? Now, I will say you do get a little bit of sublingual through your mouth when you do use a tincture, Always recommend if you're using a tincture, swish it in your mouth for at least 30 to 60 seconds. You're going to get more absorption. That is a quicker absorption through your mouth than your liver. Pro tip. Pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> now, inhalation, so vaping or smoking or combusting actual flour, that is an immediate relief. When you're inhaling through your lungs, you're going to, all those cannabinoids get right in your bloodstream instantly. That hits your lungs. So it's just kind of dependent on how you're trying to use your CBD, THC product. What are you using it for? Do you need it? Am I having a panic attack? Do I need to chill out right now? You probably want to go for more of an inhalation method. Or, or do I want to wind down the night and put do, on a show? And Yeah, or am I using this as a, as a maintenance for my life? Uh, like. Yeah. You know, that's where the the gummies, the edibles, and the tinctures can be very helpful because they're not going to be, whoa, I'm like, all of a sudden I feel different. It's a much more slower uptake process, so it's more of a manageable kind of feeling if you need to be, like, doing something. So what's best for pain? Depends on the type of pain? Definitely depends on the type of pain. And the strain, even, maybe? Yes. I mean, that's when you talk about the uh, different phenotypes of indica and sativa, Indicas are generally known for pain relief. THC. A, a but what big... if we're talking about CBD? I'm still on CBD. Yeah. Well, so, and the... so do you want to take a tincture for CBD or do you want to inhale it for pain? So I would say probably it is a type of pain. If it's something that needs that's like so painful that you need to go right away, then definitely inhalation. If it's more of like a long lasting slow pain, because again, CBD isn't really a pain reliever, it's just an anti inflammatory. So you're kind of not solving the pain, you're trying to solve the reason why you have the pain. So explain the difference between creams, because this has become really popular. Yeah. You can even go get your nails done. You can get a pedicure and they'll do, they'll have a CBD treatment now. I love the CBD in my beer for $17. There you go, right? Right? There's all these products with it in that, that are edible. But for topical relief, explain the difference between any sort of cream because these are expensive yes. and transdermal. Yes. And what works and what doesn't. Yes. And this is a big one. This is something that I really found uh, exciting when I was actually working in a dispensary in Denver. And uh, we just happened to be near an old folks home. And so I had a lot of clients that were older and like, actually, I found this great charge in being able to use this plant to actually help people, not just get people stoned. This really important word on creams, that's and that's what you said before, is transdermal. Transdermal is going to mean that's going to penetrate the skin and actually the medicine will absorb through the skin into the bloodstream. 
something that you would normally see that's like this is a nicotine patch. Nicotine patches are transdermal. That's how the nicotine gets in your body. It has a driver, a natural driver that drives into your skin. So most creams aren't going to say anything or are going to say topical. That is putting that lotion on the top of your skin. It'll sit up there. It's so burns, stuff that you're actually trying to treat the skin. It's only going to treat the skin, though. So if you have arthritis and you want relief, pain or inflammation relief, a cream is not going to be your best bet. A transdermal cream would Transdermal be. would. Yes. Now, transdermals are the really expensive ones. And the reason is because they work. <laughs> uh, you pay for what you get. For arthritis, any sort of back pain or knee pain, anywhere where you have like a localized spot, that's going to drive that CBD right to where it needs to be. And from my experience, from a lot of people, it's instant relief. So this is key because so many people, at least I've run into people that say, hey, should I use this topically? Or I used this topically and it didn't work because it wasn't treating something on the skin. They were trying to heal something that was going more on more internal mm. and they didn't have access to transdermal, but even creams these days, I mean, this has become such a market and here's the marketing aspect of it is this is the new thing. This is the big thing. And if you make it look pretty, if you say, oh, it has so much extra strength or it's this CBD, you think it's going to work and you're paying in a lot of ways for nothing or you're paying for stuff that doesn't work. Mm. Which brings up a good point because what is the therapeutic dose of CBD? One of the few studies out there that shows this and Mayo even says that you need at least 140 milligrams of CBD to be anti-inflammatory. And most tinctures or gummies are maybe 30 milligrams and less. 60 is kind of this, this high extra strength dose. So you're getting 60 milligrams. You need to do that three times to get enough of a dose that's possibly anti-inflammatory. And really the issue is we don't have, as Ryan said, we don't have enough research on this yet. Not only that, but we have so many different products. So right now, marketing is absolutely killing the game. Like, mm -hmm. if you have good marketing, you're selling a shit ton. And at the end of the day, most of us don't even know what we're looking at, what we're getting, what they're specifically used for. And we're not getting what we think we're getting most times. I will say most times, a lot of these products are bunk. And not enough. And not Especially enough. for therapeutic. Not many people know, hey, you should actually hold it in your mouth 30 to 60 minutes. Or excuse me, seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Not that long. <laughs> you should swish it around your mouth. And any herbal tincture, you should actually do that with. People don't know about transdermal creams and the effectiveness of that versus any other cream or why you'd use it, right? People don't know that, hey, you can actually smoke CBD and that might be a, a better way of getting it in you. N and none here, of this is expressed. Here might be like a good way to explain where some of that dosing came from. One, I think a lot of it came from just that's what they were dosing THC at in legal states. THC is a much more powerful cannabinoid than CBD, so that dosing shouldn't doesn't correspond. But even that dosing is different state to state. It is, from right? state to state, 5 or 10 milligrams, depending on the state. But CBD growing has only been legal for two years, 2018 Farm Bill. Brand new market. When it first happened, there wasn't anything on the market. So a liter of CBD oil two years ago was $8,000. So you were trying to make a profit off of that, right? Which was hard to do at high dosing. Well, now we're down to like an $800 a liter. So this too much cost to be an effective dose is gone, but there's too many, there's so many products out there that people already have. And they're just like, well, we got to figure this out before. Cause you know, now it should cost nothing to have a very, very high dose CBD product and not have to charge a lot for it. And speaking of, this is a good segue because there are so many different products, smokables, 
ingestibles, tinctures, edibles, cookies, blah, blah, blah. We have thousands of different products. Let's talk a little bit about the strains because Woodstock days <laughs> to 2021, we have a astronomical difference in the quality and the types of canvas we're growing these days. Yes. And it's funny because a lot of people, it's like, oh, the weed this these days is so much stronger. Why are the, is it the strains, is it this and that? Well, yeah, some of the crossbreeding and strains have definitely made stronger, more potent flower or cannabis. But uh, at the same time, we're just growing it better. In the 70s, they were just growing outside. They weren't taking this type of care. No trimming, no real nutrients. Yeah, there was Not basic that. stuff. Right. But uh, that's the difference is that it's not stronger. We're just letting it grow to its full potential now. Not only that, I believe, as everyone thinks, it's maybe more of a science of sorts. It's an art. It's an it art. It's way literally an art form. Yeah. And it's so cool because the way you harvest and the way you do things may be slightly different than the next person. And it's always going to be different. Yeah. Exactly. And it's how you see your art form because the reality is this, this plant is a damn piece of art. It can do so many things. Because it's not legal, obviously, we're only scratching the surface of what it's capable of doing. But literally, I, I took a motorcycle ride up the Pacific Coast Highway, and it was one of the most beautiful rides I've taken in the United States. But getting up into Oregon and Washington, you're going through the beautiful mountains. And then it's like just shaved, clear-cut trees. And like you said, it takes years and years to grow these trees back. No one's ever, for the next... 20, 30 years are going to see hardly any trees in those bald spots, right? So we're just clear-cutting woods. When in reality, you had approximately 10,000 plants that you literally could use all the stocks for paper, any petroleum products, really. Well, that's where we get into the most epic thing about cannabis is it it can be a completely full-use crop, which doesn't exist, where you use every part of it. Wow. That just doesn't, in modern day, doesn't really happen. You always throw something away. Taking us back to Wisconsin's amazing history with growing hemp. Wisconsin was just behind Kentucky in hemp production for rope for World War II. It was a huge part of the American war effort to grow as much hemp as possible because we needed rope. Mm. So... George Washington had hemp fields like this was seen as a crop that could this was going to bring America up because it was the most amazing thing ever. It does everything you could think. It makes clothing. Now it's a medicine. It, it uh, makes it makes necklaces. It makes really cool <laughs> hippie necklaces with really awesome glass beads. Yeah, and, right. On. Uh, but it also rejuvenates and replenishes the soil. And that's right? the other crazy part. How it, many plants do that? It literally pulls the bad stuff out of the soil and doesn't put it into the flower somehow. It just sticks it in the stock. So none of that negative stuff gets into the consumable product. It wow. stays detoxifying the, the land and makes the land better. What if Come that was a cover crop in between all these other? <laughs> it should crops? be a cover crop because it, it, it doesn't t a growing season, right? Or it's well, and I'm very excited this year. The other farmer didn't seem as stoked about it as me, but so. I have one field that I planted in hemp in last year, and it's next to the field that I didn't plant, and he planted soybeans. And this year, now I'm going to have two fields side by side, both with corn in them. One had hemp in it the year before, one didn't. I'm really excited to see what the other, if the other field is going to show a difference. I mean, I think that's really, really going to be an interesting thing to see this year. If my one year of hemp farming, I bet you he's going to yield a good crop. I bet he does. And the bushel, I think I just saw it seven dollars for a bushel of corn right now. He did say to me because I, I, when I brought it up, because he has a guy that goes out and checks all his fields, and he's like. 
yeah, when my guy came out here, he said I didn't need to put any fertilizer down this year. That's really weird. Wow. It's like, huh. That's really wow. cool. That's interesting. That's really neat. <laughs> and tell us a little bit more about your farm because you were, first of all, you've met so many other farmers here because you never considered yourself a farmer until no, last no, year. No, definitely right? not. <laughs> but you do. You have a farm, you have a tractor, you have all... It's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> up with the sun and down with the sun. But a lot of farmers in Wisconsin took on hemp and were unsuccessful. So I, w- I want to touch upon that. That's a great thing to talk about. And then also just kind of their thoughts on it of, well, let's just seed the land and see what happens. Yeah. So why weren't they successful and what's the difference? The main thing is just basic. It's a young industry. It's fucking hard work. It's, well... <laughs> <laughs> that's round that's round two for sure. Uh, but I mean, one is when an industry doesn't exist, the first year, everything's gonna be skyrocketly expensive because it doesn't exist yet. So year two, everyone goes, Hey, I can make a million dollars off of an acre. That you can't do that with any crop in the world. And at the time you could for like eight months. <laughs> and if you missed that, then you were on your ass. Wait, I can't sell this for anything. Cause it just went to nothing really, really quick. But that is any industry and especially in farming. How often does a new agricultural product come along? Like never. So there was from traditional farming methods, hey, I can just plant a big bunch of this, pull it out, and I make my money. That's not how hemp works. Like I was saying earlier, like pulling it out of the fields, you're about halfway there. You're not even over half. And that's like usually where farmers like we're done. And we're in this right now. There's an educational period of people going, oh, okay, well, this isn't, yeah, I can make a million dollars, but I need to spend so much in labor to get that done that maybe it's not worth it to me. A lot of farmers are dying out, but it's going to start coming back up here in the next couple of years, I would say, because people start to figure out how it works. And the fact that hemp is unlike any crop, quantity does not necessarily mean profit. Small quality means profit. Corn is corn. Quality doesn't matter. Quality is number one in the cannabis game. I mean, that's what people are looking at a lot of times, right? If you go online and do any research, they're showing close-up pictures of butts. Yeah. Well, then it's also like, again, corn grows. Hemp grows anywhere. Easy. Mm -hmm. Growing it to have a lot of CBD or a lot of THC in it, that's the hard part. Mm. But it will grow. It easily will grow anywhere. And this is the connection with looking at it from an herbal perspective, because when you're dealing with herbs, you're looking at certain phytochemicals in the plant and you want them to be, you want to have enough to have a therapeutic benefit. And so when you're growing cannabis, it's the same thing. You're looking for these therapeutic benefits and not just growing the plant to get big and tall and then send it towards processing. Yeah. Right? So you just got news back from your processor. You just got your hemp made into oil. And what did you find out about that? Yeah. So uh, first year, you know, I did as much as I could, as much research and worked as hard as I could to create what I would say is the best crop I could at the time. And I thought it was pretty good. And I'd seen a couple of other people's crops and I thought mine was definitely better. At least it tested around 10% CBD, which is like kind of your minimum for being profitable. But I get a call back from them and it's uh, Goodland Extracts. Actually, I'll give a shout out to them. They've been really, really amazing. They're just outside of Milwaukee. And, you know, they gave me kind of a range of what I was to expect, you know, your average of what we get out of however many pounds. And it's around 35 pounds makes about a, a kilogram of oil. And they came back on, holy cow, like, this is the second best run we've almost ever done. Like you came out at like 21 pounds to make a, a kilogram of oil. And that's like almost unheard of. That's just really quality, amazing stuff. Like we enjoyed working with it. 
we were milling it in our facility and the whole place smelled beautiful and we were all just really happy about this and i was pretty kind of blown away about it but uh that's what shows that you can be successful at this you just have to really do your research and put the time and energy into doing it because it's a beautiful thing to do when you do it that's like saying you can be successful as an NBA basketball player. <laughs> but you know anyone can do this. <laughs> they can't. Don't don't get it twisted. They can't. Not anybody can do no. this. <laughs> you guys dropped off the dry product and you saw products sitting in these super sacks that were wet or moldy or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, that's what's getting processed and put into these products that get yeah. marketed to everyone. And, and then you try CBD and you go, it doesn't work. Well, duh. So this is what I was getting at is that when we were there, Number one, those guys were were super awesome. They weren't quite expecting the delivery. Of, there was a little miscommunication there, but we got we got a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they were awesome. And then you know you, you had mentioned that planting it is only half the process, or once it grows, it's only half the process, which is true. And then if anyone's seen one of these processing facilities, I mean, talk about chemical engineers and yeah. everything that goes into it. Like <laughs> yeah. it's wild what they're doing to get the oil out and how they're doing it. Yeah, high pressure with, you know, the CO2 or ethanol or a lot of different ways to get it out. And it's just, this isn't a bunch of guys in a room smoking joints. This is like no. technological, this is, this is biochemicals. Very- I mean, what did they say? They had a, what were the two chemists? Like they had a couple degrees anyways. They like, they, these guys are smart guys running some pretty technical equipment yep. to get this stuff out of this plant. Yeah, and then logistically, because it is true, we did see a bunch of super sacks. A, they didn't smell good, but B, they were, some of them were wet, so they were opened up outside. But as you know, and I experienced helping you once, pulling it out of the field, I don't even know if if that's half the battle at this point. You know what I'm saying? Because (laughs) you're drying and your temperature is what, what everything has to be at, the moisture rate, how long they're in barrels, if they're in barrels, or how are you drying it? Are you hang drying it? I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. And here in Wisconsin, it's a very damp climate. The battle with humidity every day. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you're doing different things to try and take the humidity or moisture out of the air to dry it out quicker. But then you don't want it too dry because then it's bone dry. And if you're selling the flour, I mean, there's so many things that go into this and it hardly starts just at the field. It goes much further. But with that being said, kudos to you because you grew a kick-ass crop, yeah, thanks, number, man. number one. But back to what Vanessa said is that this is the stuff that's showing up in the processors. Yeah. They made a deal with you because they knew where you were growing it and how you were growing it. They probably wanted to make a better deal with you because of what they got at the end. Yeah. But they were not making this deal with any other people. I can guarantee you that. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, what's the time frame between us being there, which was five, six months after growing season, and it's still damp? I, I don't mean, even that's know how like that's possible. Exactly. I, I mean, that must have smelled awful. <laughs> that, wherever it was being stored, it probably did not smell very good in there. But that's the difference of this, <laughs> yeah. this crop. And I we call it a crop, but really it's an herb and it's this it's everything. It's, right. It's all in one. That's why it's the science and the art and all of it combined because you can't just chop it down and then just stick it there. You have to take care of it throughout the whole process. And then even once it's pulled off the stock and in these bags, you still have to make sure it's not getting moldy. It's still dry. It's still okay. But that's what people are getting is that moldy product. I know. Well, and if you want to just talk about basics of putting energy into a product... I mean, to make any sort of good cannabis, 
Lots of positive energy has to go into that. Mm. If you don't want it, if it's not put in there, it's a bad product and it's not going to work as well. Just won't. <laughs> so you were growing different strains based on what? And, and, Why did you pick what you picked? And I guess uh, maybe a little basic going back that like CBD and THC come from the same plant. They are no different in the field or in the pot. They are the exact same plant. They have just crossbred different plants to produce different cannabinoids better. So there will be THC in every cannabis plant pretty much that grows. Just depends on how much. Okay. There will be CBD. Well, and then then we'll get into CBG here in a second. So there's every, different cannabinoids is what you're saying. Yeah, there's 72. And by crossbreeding, you can get each one to flourish in a different plant. And that's where we're kind of going, trying to find different ones to do that. So yeah, I chose strains based on harvest schedule, which I think also hurt a lot of farmers because you only have a couple week window to harvest once it's ready. So if you plant all the same stuff that's all ready at the same time, you have a couple weeks or then it's done. So by planting strains that mature at different times, you can regulate how you harvest. And I think that would, that would help a lot of people as well. And regulating, there's, I don't know if it's a national or a federal mandate or if it's Wisconsin, but what what is the percentage of THC that you're allowed to have? Yeah, so that would be a federal ruling. And as of right now, it is still at this 0.03% THC to be legal. So with all this crossbreeding going on and any number of things that can happen, not anybody can do this. Good point. Yes. Point three percent. That's virtually nothing because you tell, have, it's a tiny them window. Ha- tell them what happens if your average is above point three percent. Well, and luckily this has just changed. Up until a month ago, when the FDA came out with its rulings, if it was over that point oh three, even by a tenth of a percent, destroy. You have to destroy everything that it has. That burn the crop. Burn the crop. Wow. Destroy your products if they come out like that. They have finally said that because now they have found ways to remediate THC out of oils. so They can actually remove it. That has now gone and in Wisconsin that you can now if you do get over, you still can't have over one percent. But if you get over a little bit, you are allowed to remediate and still sell your product, which is a great, huge step forward. And it's like sad that it took this long to get there. But yes, yeah, so. imagine wanting to go into this knowing that your whole crop could get burned down like that's by it from a tenth of a percent. Yeah. A tenth of a percent, you've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars yep. of investment. And you have to sit there and watch, and you have to burn it. <laughs> you so have to watch it burn. <laughs> all that work. So no wonder, obviously, not everyone's going into this, and no wonder not everyone's successful. I, I agree. And you know what? Real quickly, I have to tell you that, speaking of watching it burn, I came back from Canada one time, and we had gotten Cuban cigars, and they stopped us at the border because <laughs> we were college kids. And I took the wrap for like seven Cuban cigars. They pulled us into this giant, I don't even know, it was like a 10-foot tall metal garage door. Guys came out with guns. They ripped apart the whole car, made us sit in a concrete holding cell. For some cigars. For some cigars. And I had to file paperwork with them. And he was just about to break them in half and throw them in the garbage right in front of me. Apparently, that's a thing. I don't know. I asked him if I could sit, stand on the Canadian side of the border and smoke the cigar. He was not happy with that. <laughs> no, I bet not. <laughs> so I, I know what you're talking about when you say you got to sit there and watch it burn. Yeah. <laughs> Before we pull this all together, talk a little bit about CBG, because that is a little bit more research going on. And there's not too many products with CBG in it, but it's kind of a marketing ploy right now. What is CBG? Yes. So I'll reiterate one more time. So 72 cannabinoids are produced by the cannabis plant. CBG is a new one 
just uh, one, another exciting one just for people to start keeping their ears open is uh, THCV and THCZ. They're finding that the Z is really helpful for uh, diabetics and the V they're finding is actually, it's a, it's an appetite suppressant. So really good for obesity. Interesting mm-hmm. that the THC can make you not hungry. I thought it made you go to the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the regular Delta 9 THC does definitely do that. <laughs> CBG is really cool. So that was a, a strain I grew of the white CBG from Oregon CBD. So CBG is known as the mother cannabinoid. So when the plant starts growing, everything is going to start as the CBG. And as it grows, it'll produce into THC, into CBD, into other things. So it all every plant will start with it. And then by the end, it won't have any of it left because it's all turned into all the other. It's like the original cell in the body that turns into all the organs. Exactly. And what's really cool about this cannabinoid is that it does not bind to any of this to your CB1 or CB2 receptors, where all the other ones will bind to one or two of those. By not binding, it allows those receptors to stay open. So it's going to allow you to uptake more of whatever cannabinoid you're using at the time. On top of that, they are finding some really cool antibacterial properties. They've found that it actually, it can almost nearly stop the spread of MRSA when that's happening in a a hospital or prison, say. MRSA also being somewhat relative of the COVID, you know, virus. So there's definitely some more research to be done on the fact that they can stop the spread of infections. But just that ability that it does allow you to uptake more of any cannabinoid is going to help with that dosing problem that we have right now with how much dosing we need. By adding CBD to anything, you might it might help us get better dosing and understanding how this works better with our endocannabinoid system. Or what about allowing it to make your product last longer? Yeah, Maybe five milligrams of CBD will feel like 25 with some CBG a booster added. of CBG in there as well. Which is really cool. First of all, thanks for coming back today, Ryan. We enjoyed the information and the conversation. Of course. But I do have to say that I'm sitting with two people here that have a new company and new products launching soon because, you know, you did mention it lasts longer. <laughs> I'm going to leave that there. It's a female <laughs> health line. And it does have CBD in it, and it's going to be super kick-ass. But we're going to leave the details as it rolls out here in the next few months. But we do appreciate you being here, Ryan. And we hope you all enjoyed this conversation. It leaves you with a little bit better understanding of the process, the purpose, and the power of the cannabis plant in general. Thank you for listening. Join our community at outofthecommon.net and pass along a prayer and positivity today. <laughs>